Well, today Marlene and I are celebrating 46 years of marriage. And thank God for her, because she's had to endure a lot <laughs> in these 46 years. With <laughs> the flesh will not allow me to respond to that. An important ingredient uh, in biblical marriage is love. One of the books that helped my wife and I as we were in the early years of our marriage is entitled Love Life for Every Married Couple by Ed Wheat. And it was a book that focuses in on how to fall in love, stay in love, and rekindle your love. Love is not just important in marriage. Love is also important in our relationships with each other as Christians. If I could refer to you a book on the subject of Christian love, the book that I would refer you to is 1 John. 1 John has a lot to say about love. We have pointed out the fact that the verb love is used 27 times, and now love is used 18 times, and the adjective love is used six times. There are three different times that John devotes himself to love. We saw in 1 John 2, verses 7 to 11, the love commandment. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, we saw the reasons of why we should obey the love commandment. Today we come to 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 12 and it in essence is the last key passage on love in the Christian life. And I want us to look at these verses from the subject of love life for every Christian. Love life for every Christian. What John does in these verses is provides us with three keys that unlocks the door to love life for every Christian. And I want to say to us, Fairview, how important, how critical it is that we love one another. If you don't get much else out of this text, I hope that God will impress upon your heart and upon my heart the importance of love for other Christians. And it's important not just for some Christians, but love life is for every Christian. All Christians are to love one another. And this passage points out that if I do not love my brothers and sisters in Christ, then I am outside of the will of God. If there's a lack of love in my life for my fellow Christians, particularly those who are part of the family of God here at Fairview, I'm missing God's will. And even more significantly, this text says that it's very possible that I'm not even a child of God. 
That's how important it is for us to love one another. Lack of love in the Christian's life might mean that the person who thinks he or she is a Christian is not a Christian at all. Before we look at these three keys, I want us to capture and get a sense of John's burden in these verses. He begins verse 7 by saying, Beloved, let us love one another. John grabs his reader's attention once again by referring to them as those that he dearly loved. This is the fifth time thus far he has addressed them as beloved, our dearly loved ones, our dear friends. And he goes on to exhort his readers and also himself. What John says at the beginning of this text is not just for his readers, not just for others, but it's for himself. He, he says, let us love one another. He doesn't say let you, but he says let us. He understands that love is so important that it is a responsibility of those that he's writing to, but it's also a responsibility for himself. And remember, John is an apostle. He belongs to a select group. But yet when it comes to loving one another, John is not exempt. There is no Christian there is no one who's a child of God who is exempt from this exhortation to love one another. It doesn't matter what your spiritual status is. You can be a new Christian. You can be an old Christian. You have, could have been walking with God for a long time. The exhortation is for you. John says the exhortation is for every Christian. And he exhorts his readers to something very straightforward. He says, let us love one another. That's what John must do. He must love fellow Christians. That's what his readers are to do. That's what we are to do. We are to love one another. He's insisting that they seek each other's best possible good. He is demanding that they pursue that which God wants for their brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not talking about let's get together and hug each other. He's not talking about let's lock arms, let's draw together, and, and let's have a you know, sing song and have a great emotional powwow. No, he's saying that we are to have an act of the will that comes from the heart where I am committed day in and day out to seek that which is best for another person as defined by the word of God itself. Beloved, let us love one another. And he's saying that love is to be a reciprocal action. It's to be going back and forth and back and forth and the picture is that they are a Christian community, and in that Christian community, love is to be going back and forth and back and forth. And may I say that in our own Christian community, 
in our community at Fairview, the thing that should characterize us is love for one another. If there's one thing that ought to be going back and forth and back and forth, it's love for one another. Seeking each other's best possible good. That is what should characterize us. That is what should mark us. When people are in our midst, who are not a part of our church family, what they should see, what they should recognize is that we are committed to seeking each other's best possible good as defined by the Word of God. And, and that means I, I can't be a solo Christian. That means I can't be an isolated Christian. I can't just simply be a member here at Fairview and have no relationship with the people who are members here. In order for us to practice this command, this exhortation, it assumes that we are interacting with each other. And so John's burden, his concern, is that his readers and himself would love one another. So with that in mind, let us focus in on the keys that unlock the door to love life for every Christian. The first key is the reasons for loving one another in verses 7 and 8. John wants us to know that the first reason we should love one another is because love comes from God. He said, love one another for love is from God. Love originates with God. God is the source of love. Love is rooted in God's very being. Love is not just something that's out there. If love is to be practiced, it comes from God himself. And John's logic is, if love comes from God, then we ought to be involved in loving one another. What he's saying here, what he's implying that whatever is related to God, whatever is associated with God, that's what God's people want to relate to and be associated with. It's a strange phenomena among Christians, where among some Christians, is that they don't want to do or be along are involved in anything related to God. They say they're followers of Christ, but they don't want to follow Christ. They don't want to be involved in the things of Christ. They have no interest in the things of, uh, of Christ. John is saying he doesn't understand that. John says love is from God. And whatever is from God, God's children should want to be a part of and involved in. So if toe dancing is from God, guess what? We should be toe dancing. If hula hooping is from God, then we should be hula hooping. The implication is love is from God. And how dare we be disassociated from love? 
How dare we not be a part of something that is so integral and so vital to who God is? So we love one another, first of all, because love is from God. And when you understand that, it can be a real blessing to your life. It can help you when you have to love difficult people. I know you don't ever have to worry about that. Okay. But there are some difficult people to love. And whether you might not know it or not, you might be one of those people. I might be one of those people. You might ask, wonder why, why didn't somebody look? Well, you might be difficult to love. But even if you are difficult to love, John is telling us something very important here on how to help us love difficult people. And trust me, this will come in handy. Uh, maybe uh, you don't have this issue right now, but trust me, God will send some Christians into your life that are difficult to love. And you're going to need to know what can I do to love so-and-so. If you understand that love is from God, then what you need to understand is that you need to be plugged in to God. You need to make sure you go to the source of love. There was a lumberjack who was without peer among others who cut down large trees in a forest. And he took pride in the fact that he was the best at his job. And every time a tree was getting ready to fall, he loved hollering out, Timber! Because he could say it faster than others. And he could chop down more trees than others. But all of a sudden, there was a, another worker, another lumberjack in the forest. And he started hearing this guy say timber five times faster than himself. Five times faster. And, and he was just devastated. Why is this guy so fast at cutting down trees? And so he kind of went to where he was in the forest and peeked and, and noticed that he had this new-looking device. And, and he found out that this new-looking device was a chainsaw. So he went to the store and bought himself a chainsaw and was committed to going back to being the best lumberjack person in the forest. And lo and behold, he pulled out his nice new chainsaw and began trying to cut down trees. And instead of being faster, he was slower, much slower. In fact, he couldn't even cut down one tree. But he went back to the salesperson. He was upset. He was mad. He said, this thing is a piece of junk. It's not worth anything. And the salesman was trying to get to the bottom of the problem and found out that this 
logger didn't understand that this was an electric chainsaw. That it needed to be plugged in to electricity. And some of us are trying to love one another without being plugged into God. We're trying to do it in our own strength. And we're wondering why we can't love and seek each other's best possible good. Love is from God. But love also signifies a relationship with God. That's the further explanation that John gives in the last part of verse 7 and also in verse 8. He says at the end of verse 7 that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone. No exception. John says anyone who loves what can be said about that individual who loves, and he doesn't even talk about loving who, it's implied loving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but he says anyone, everyone, without exception, who loves that individual is born of God. And don't get John wrong. John is not saying that if you love, that causes you to be born again, or that causes you to be born of God. No, he says the result of salvation, result of God saving you, is that you will love others. A sign that we're born again is not how big our Bible is, not how much we give to the church, not how much we serve. A sign of being born again is love, seeking each other's best possible good. And not only that, John goes on to say, not only is love a sign of being born again, but love is a sign that you know God. You want to have confidence that you know God? It will be seen in your practice of love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not talking about knowing about God. Many of us know about God. We know how to spell his name. We know that he exists in the very first verse of the Bible. There are different things that we can say about God. But knowing about God and experiencing God in your day-to-day walk in relationship, that's a totally different story. Uh, You can say that you're a Christian, that you know God, but are you experiencing God as a reality in your everyday life? That is, is God real to you? Not that God is somebody associated with your mother or your father, but, but, but is God real to you? When you're outside of these four walls of this church building, when you're at home, is God a very present reality in your life? The song says, yes, God is real. He's real in my soul. 
Yes, God is real, for he has washed and, and made me whole. His love for me is like pure gold. Yes, God is real, for I can feel him in my soul. I, I hope you don't have a Christianity that's just for your head. I hope your Christianity is for your heart also. I hope your Christianity is for your intellect, but also for your emotions. If you never get excited about Christianity, if you never get excited about Christ, if you never get excited about God the Father, if you never feel anything, something is wrong. You have a vain religion that is just outward and external. John is saying that when we love one another, that's a sign that it, that is evidence that I've been born again and that I know God personally and experientially. It's so sad when God is not real to individuals, that they can go through the day and not think about God at all, that he's not a part of their life, not a part of the things that a person is going through. John wants us to understand that a sign that you know God is that you love. He says in verse 8 the very opposite thing. He, he says the one who does not Love does not know God. How do I know I know God? Because I love. If I don't love, John says, I don't know God. Why? Because God himself is love. That's his attribute. That's one of his characteristics. How can you not be involved in something that characterizes and describes and is an essential part of who God is? You want to know who God is? Yes, God is light. God is holy. God is love. And it's a strange thing that we say we know God, that we've been born again, that we belong to him, and yet love is not a vital part of our life where we practice it toward one another. John is going to say again in verse 16 that God is love. And so understand, these reasons for loving one another. Love is from God. Love signifies the relationship with God. But the second thing that I want you to see in verses 9 and 10, the second key, so to speak, that unlocks the door to living a life of love as a Christian is the model for loving one another. The model for loving one another. Where do I turn? If I'm trying to find an example, a model for love, where do I turn? Where's the example? Where's the illustration? Where's the model for love? Do I turn to the late singer Barry White? where he says, can't get enough of your love, baby. And some of you know that song. And some of you know Barry White with his very deep, deep voice and those love songs. 
that he was well known for. I was listening and watching something on TV just by chance a few days ago, and it was on the life of Barry White. And one of the individuals speaking about Barry White said, a whole lot of babies were conceived with Barry White's music in the background. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You won't find a whole lot of Christians expressing love listening to Barry White. That won't help you. So where do you turn? Do you turn to TV programs? Reality shows to find out what love is? No, John says you turn to God. If you want to know what love looks like, then turn to God. And so in particular, he talks about two actions of God. In verses 9 and 2, there are two particular actions of God that model for us, that teach us what it means to love, what love looks like. Don't go to the latest R&B singer. Don't go to the latest book on the top 10 bestseller list. Go to God. Look at Him. And when you look particularly at these two acts of God, it will help you to understand and define for you what it means to love. So the first act of love, the first act of God that models love, is that God sent his son to provide eternal life. God sent his son to provide eternal life. That's the first act of God that models love for us. And before John talks about that particular act, in verse 9, he says, by this, the love of God was manifested toward us. By this particular act, by this particular means, the love of God, that is, God's love was manifested. It was brought out into the open so that everybody could see it. By a particular act of God, John said it became clear what God's love toward his people was like. It became so obvious that, that those who were blind, so to speak, could see it. And what was that act? John said that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. I hope those verse, that verse sounds familiar to you. I hope those words sound familiar to you. That God sent his only begotten son into the world. That's John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And now, John, the same John who wrote John 3.16 says, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the gospel. These are marvelous, tremendous words. God sent his son on a mission 
That's what it means by sin. The, the Son left heaven's glory. He was sent on a mission. And the one that God sent was not some angel, was not some biblical personality or historical figure. God sent his Son, his begotten Son, his one-of-a-kind Son, his unique Son, his precious, valuable Son. And God sent his Son on a mission. He sent him to the world. God sent Jesus into the world. And that speaks of the coming of Jesus Christ. That speaks of the incarnation of Christ. That speaks of Christmas. John is saying Christmas, the incarnation, that act of God in sending his son, that tells us what love looks like. And he says, God sent his son into the world for, for a purpose. And that purpose, John says, is that we might live through him. God sent Jesus on a mission into this world so that men and women, boys and girls, might have eternal life by repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. John says, that's love. You want to know what love looks like? Don't listen to Barry White. Don't listen to Oprah. Don't listen to anybody. Listen to God. Look at God. Turn to him. Focus in on God having sent his son into the world that you and I might live. That's what love is. But there's another act that John mentions. And he mentions that act in verse 10. The second act that models love that God sent his son to be the satisfaction for his sins. He didn't just send his son into the world to provide eternal life, but he sent his son into the world to take care of the sin problem. And John introduces verse 10 with these words, in this is love. Where can I find love defined? Where can I find the essence of love? John says it's in this. It's by this that you will find love. And what he refers to is the fact that God has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. But, but don't miss something key that John says. John said you're not going to find out what love is by looking at human beings. You're not going to find out what love is by even looking at Christians, so to speak. John says, in this is love, not that we love God, but, but where you find it is that God loved us. You want to know the true meaning and essence of love? Turn toward God. And John says that God sent his son 
to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for sins. You and I and every human being that has ever walked on this earth have a problem. We have a sin problem. We are sinners by nature and by choice. But God, realizing that we have a sin problem, realizing that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and realizing that there is nothing that you or I can do to save ourselves, in eternity past, planned our great salvation. And part of his plan for our great salvation is that God sent his son to be the propitiation, that is, the satisfaction for God's holy and righteous wrath. You see, God can't ignore sin in your life, and he can't ignore sin in my life. God can't just simply say, I'm going to sweep it under the rug, I'm just going to push it aside, and I'll save you. No, God's holiness demands that sin be dealt with that his wrath be satisfied. And it was satisfied when Jesus Christ himself died on the cross and was killed and put to death. And by his death, the holy, righteous God, the wrath of him was satisfied. And so John said, you want to know love? Don't be looking at me, John says. Don't be looking at others. Look at the acts of God. The acts of God where God sent his son, that is the coming of Christ, and where God sent his son to be the propitiation for sin, which refers to the cross of Christ. So the coming of Christ and the cross of Christ gives us insight in what it means to love. My friends, when we look long enough at the love of God, his acts of love, we see that love gives of its best. Isn't that what God did? He gave his one-of-a-kind son. Love sacrifices. Love seeks the best for the other person. Love does not consider if the person is worthy of love. You and I weren't worthy of the love of God in the sending of his son and his son dying on the cross. But that's the nature of love. Don't look to human sources to learn what love is all about. Look toward God. The final key that unlocks the door for love life for every Christian is in verses 11 and 12. And there we see the necessity for loving one another. Is it necessary that Christians love one another? Do I have to really pay attention to what John has said in these verses? No, am I really obligated to, to love one another? Aren't there other things that I can focus on? John would say categorically, emphatically, that it is necessary for Christians to love one another. He would point out that 
when we understand certain truth, there, there's no other option for Christians than to love each other. He, he backs us in a corner. He backs his readers in a corner and says, look, because of these two things, this is why you must love one another. Loving one another is necessary in light of God's love for believers. You know why we must love one another? It's because God loves believers. John says in verse 11, he reminds us of what was just said in verses 9 and 10. He reminds us of those two great acts of God that informs us about what love is. John says, beloved, this is the last time that he'll call them dearly loved ones. But he says, beloved, if God so loved us, beloved, if God has sent his son into the world that we might have eternal life, if God has sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sins, if that's the case, and he assumed that it is the case that they will agree with him and that you and I will agree with him. If that's the case, if God has so loved us, we must love one another. Now, I don't know if you, that's a strange statement to me. I can, hear, I can see John saying, I must love God. No, in light of what God has done for me, the fact that Jesus Christ has come into the world to provide eternal life for me, the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for my sin, I can understand John saying, if God so loved me, if God so loved you, then we ought to love God. But he doesn't say that. He says we ought to love one another. Don't miss that. If God has loved fellow believers, what right do we have, what audacity do we have to say we're not going to love somebody that God loves? Do you understand that? If God so loved us, that is, if God has loved Christians, then we as Christians ought to love one another. How arrogant. How hypocritical it is for me to look at a brother or sister in Christ and say, even though God sent his very best into the world to die on the cross for your sins, that you might have eternal life, even though God has sent Jesus Christ into the world to pay the penalty for your sin, even though you're the, a child of God and an object of God's love, I'm not going to love you. That's just absolutely astounding that any of us would think along those lines. You see, we are obligated to love one another. Because God loves believers. And the other reason we're obligated to love one another is because of the, invis the invisibility of God. 
John makes a statement in verse 12 that no one has seen God at any time. Don't ever lose sight of that. Don't let some foolish person come along and tell you, oh, I saw God. You know, I, I talked with him. I saw him with my own eyes. Now, John says, no one. And he's including himself, the apostle, the follower of Jesus, the writer of five books of the New Testament. He says, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever beheld God with their own eyes in his very essence. We can't see God here on earth with our own eyes and live. The Old Testament all the way to the end of the New Testament says the same thing. John is not declaring something new. He is saying that no one has beheld God at any time. But God can be seen. God can be seen. Creation declares Him. Jesus Christ, when He walked on earth, He told individuals, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. And guess what? God can be seen in you. Can be. And particularly, God can be seen in the Christian community when they're loving one another as they should. And that's why John says, if we love one another, God abides in us, among us, among us Christians. And God's love has reached its perfection. You don't want to know what God's love toward us, the goal is? It's that you and I love one another. So let me close. You, you have endured the easy part of the sermon. The easy part is just listening. And this is the third time some of you have listened to another sermon on love from 1 John. That's the easy part. John says, beloved, let us one, love one another. Doesn't take any effort. Doesn't take any sweat. Now, you might have lost a few moments of sleep here or there, etc. But it's easy to hear the exhortation to love one another. The hard part is doing it. Loving one another. And what makes it hard sometimes is because of who we are. The individual. Me. I'm the problem. Many times why I can't love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and sometimes the problem is the one that I'm seeking to love is the problem. So, so what do you do uh, when you encounter a Christian that you know God wants you to love. What do you, what do you do when you look at the membership here at Fairview and you understand that God is saying that you are to love every brother and sister in Christ who's a member of Fairview? Don't worry about the ones in Timbuktu. God is saying love the ones who are members of your church family. But, but so what do I do when I struggle with that? Some people are easy to love. Some aren't. First of all, confess your sin of not showing love to your brother or sister in Christ. If you're not loving someone who's a member at Fairview the way that God wants you to, confess your sin. Understand that it is sin. Second thing I would recommend to you is pray 
for your brother or sister in Christ. You'll be amazed how God will change your attitude to, toward that person who's difficult to love if you start praying for that person. It used to be in my prayer notebook, I would have a list of people who I was struggling with loving. Now, I, I coded it in such a way that only I knew who they were. So if my prayer list got in the hands of my wife or somebody else, they, they wouldn't know what my little symbols actually meant. But that helped me. Because I realized that some Christians rub us the wrong way. Some Christians are hard and difficult to love. But that doesn't let us off the hook. We still must love them. So some, no, we start by confessing our sin of not loving them. We, we continue by praying for that individual. And then we renew our minds with the truth of Scripture and particularly go back to this passage and see the reasons for loving one another. See uh, the model for loving one another and see the necessity of loving one another. And don't forget the principles that are given in this passage. Since God is the source of love, I am dependent on him to love one another. I, I got to be plugged into him. I got to have an intimate and close and personal relationship with him. Love is a result of having a relationship with God. If you have not been born of God, if you don't know God, you can't love brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not even really your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love gives of its best. Love sacrifices. Love does not consider if the person is worthy of love. Failure to love is a great moral sin in light of God's love toward us. We love it. Let us love one another. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we realize that the easy part of this message is to listen to it. The difficult part is to do it. So we pray that by your grace and by your enablement that you might help us to love one another. Father, may it be true of Fairview that we are a Christian community where love for each other is bouncing back and forth and back and forth. Help us to manifest your love toward others. We pray this in Jesus' name.